DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Darnell Dixon, BYU columnist and writer for the Daily Herald. Darnell, good morning. Good morning to you. Good to be on. 10-1 and one with a trip to Boca Raton, Florida pending. When you go back to August, before BYU ever played a game, could you visualize the season working out anything close to this? No, and, and that's, that's, you know, when people discuss the season and you talk about what constitutes success, just having uh, a season at all is success. And, and I, I see some people saying, well, this just shows BYU needs to be in a conference. Well, they do, but if they'd been in a conference this year, I don't think there's any way they would have played 11 games. So you, you take what you can get, and in this season, what BYU gets is 11 games and winning 10 of them and falling two yards short of winning the 11th and going to Boca Raton. It's, it's disappointing, I think. Uh, for me at least, that BYU is not going to need an opportunity to play a Power 5 team in, in the bowl game. There are a lot of them sitting out there, and there are a lot of bowls that have dropped out already. Uh, you would think there'd be a matchup that ESPN could, could figure out. This will be the first time BYU hasn't played at least one P5 team in their schedule since 1975, and they've played two, at least two every year uh, since then. So it's a very unique season. We know that, but I, I'm a little disappointed that, that not, not that UCF's a bad team. I think they're a pretty good team. But with all the talk about BYU that went on for the first three months of the season by the national media and, and uh, as, as much inventory as they've provided for ESPN this year, I think the matchup is a little bit disappointing in that regard. Well, Double D, I'm a little bit disappointed in you. It was a yard and a half, not two yards, that they came up short. So. Yeah, well, you know, you, you do what you can. I, I, I was using my Mark Warren eyeballs trying to watch that, and it looked like, it, it looked like two yards to me. So I share your sentiment in that, well, they got a bowl game, so be grateful for that. And the fact that they're going to have uh, 11, 12 games is, is good news. Uh, but I was hoping for more. And UCF is a great rep. There's no doubt about it. But the fact is, it's the fourth-place team in the AAC, and they lost to all the three teams ahead of them. You know, I figured it couldn't be Cincinnati, but – how about Memphis or Tulsa, which beat UCF? Not UCF this year, although when I step back in the COVID year, I certainly can live with it. Yeah, I, I just look at it kind of this way. There, there are a lot of, uh, of ways that independence has worked for BYU. One of the ways that it hasn't worked is it just doesn't provide as much access to big bowl games and to big games as, as they need. Right. And that's why playing in a conference might do that. But there's this glass ceiling. I mean, you, you talk about take, – take away everything that happened this year and look at a schedule that's 10-1 and one, uh, with a very super close loss to a team that's already undefeated still. By a yard and, and a half. And the best you can – yeah, by a yard and a half, right? Just, just to get it right, yard and a half. And what the best you can do is a, a minor bowl game against, a, like you said, a fourth-place team from the AEC. So – I, I just feel like, like uh, as much as, as effort and, and the, the you know as much effort as, as we mentioned Tom Homo putting into putting his schedule together when it all fell apart and all the good things that happened, it just seems like a disappointing finish and not an opportunity for BYU to prove itself against a Power Five opponent, which they're not going to get to play in in twenty twenty twenty. But you have to be in a Power Five to play a Power Five. If they were in a conference, the, depending on what conference they're in, their bowl opportunities wouldn't be any better. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a difficult situation that they've placed themselves in, and and uh, even going undefeated, who knows? They might have ended up in this very same bowl game with this very same game. Some of the the talk, the national talk, and, and you know, the first three months of the season, 
BYU was the darling. Everyone was talking about how they had their schedule ripped up and they were playing games and winning games by a lot of points. But some of that I'm, I'm just thinking is, is you know, the, the national media needs to talk about something. And so they were talking about BYU because a lot of the Power Fives haven't even started up yet. So I'm not sure all of that was sincere. But uh, BYU played 11 games this year, and they played well. I think it's definitely Kalani Sataki's best team that he's had. Unfortunately, they're just not going to get a chance to really prove uh, what they could do in, in this season. So I think that Arizona is going to show some interest in Kalani. And I think that Kalani, you know, he has a loyalty. He's a loyal guy. Uh but you know, it took a while for them to extend him. What was it in the locker room last season, right? When Tom right. pulled up the shirt and kind of left him dangling. But yet they had no problem just quickly showing the love to Mark Pope. And boy, he's there one season, and it's not even a complete season. And they lose disappointingly in the West Coast Conference tournament, and they just boom, they just go right after an extension. So I think Kalani's going to notice that. I think that my point is, I think for them to keep him, uh, they may have to extend him some more and give him some more cash. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, the, the money's definitely bigger with Arizona, although that job's been kind of a black hole lately. It seems like that's the difficult place to win right now in the Pac-12. Um, but, but Kalani, you know, I think he and his coaching staff would love to get an opportunity to prove themselves. Maybe this year, when they don't really get that chance, We'll, we'll catapult them a little bit into next year when they go back to the schedule. They've got P5s on. on uh, and they've got a young team, and they've got a lot of guys that are making decisions on whether or not to come back. And that, that's something that's going to happen, you know, in the next month or so where we'll hear about guys either finishing their career or deciding to come back for another year. Um, but they do have some underclassmen that are pretty good, too, that, that will come back. So I, I think they think their team will be pretty good next year, and they will get another opportunity to prove themselves. But and for BYU to step up with more money in this environment, I mean, they just they just you know last month sent out, hey, we're twenty million dollars short. Can you can you buy a mannequin from us, or can you buy a you know a jersey and, or a signed football? You know, they're they're trying to raise the money for the department. So it's an interesting time for them. Very conservative BYU. We know this fiscally um, for them to offer more money to Kalani when they've you know had to let go a bunch of people in their sports information department and they're trying to raise money in, in different ways. And I got my signed Bryce Harper Community College of Nevada jersey. <laughs> he hates BYU. That's what I heard. <laughs> From him on national TV. Exactly. That's not like a secondhand rumor or anything. Uh, so you mentioned there's a bunch of guys having to make decisions here. So what, do you, what decisions do you expect the juniors to make? And in some cases, seniors, because it's a free year of eligibility. But... Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I talked to uh, Ed Lamb last week about this first story, and he, and he told me he figured right now with the, <clears throat> excuse me, with the, uh, what is there, 15, 16 seniors, about half of them will probably come back. Um, I, I don't know really yet about Zach Wilson. Again, this rhetoric that we've heard all season long about how great he is and, and how he's an NFL prospect, I'm not sure all of that is is sincere simply because there wasn't a whole lot else to talk about in those first couple of months. I think he's good enough, but where would he fall if he's drafted? Does he want to come out if he's a third or fourth or fifth round guy, or does he only come out if he's a first or second round guy? Um, you know, he talks about he wants to run with his boys and, and finish out the season before he decides. Uh, but if the iron's hot, you strike. That's how that's how it works. 
Um, a guy like like um, Kairos Tonga, he probably would be, be a better served to, to leave and go on and, and, and move on in his career. I think uh, Matt Bushman has already signed with, a, uh, I don't know if he's signed with an agent, but he's signed with a development group that gets people ready for the combine. So I think he's maybe thinking he's going to be gone. Um, so so that, that's kind of the feeling that we're getting is about half of those seniors will be coming back. And then the big decision, obviously, is Zach Wilson. Will he decide to start his NFL journey or will he come back for another year and maybe prove himself against a little bit more difficult schedule that's set up for next year? So I think just about any program, if done correctly, can have a decent season every few years. You know, you just play young guys and – and get them experience, and away they go, and then you end up being, you know, at least eight wins or so. And we've seen that with BYU, and I realize the schedule has factored into it too, but I also think if you look deeper than the schedule, we've been talking about it for weeks now, that this team was set up to be good because they had a number of guys who have been playing for two, three years. The coaching staff, except for, you know, one or two exceptions, basically has been the same. So everything pointed towards this year being successful, and I think with the P5 schedule that they had, they still would have been successful because it's not like these teams that, that were on that schedule looked like they were all that world beaters. But anyway, the point I'm making is – in order to have a team, that's great. You've got to have guys ready to go. But in order to have a program, you've got to have guys ready to go every year. Now, what do you think as far as BYU having a program so then it's not back to we're in November battling for bowl eligibility again? Yeah, well, that's the responsibility of a head coach is to build that kind of a program where you reload and, and bring in guys that, that uh, you've primed and, and groomed to, to be ready. Um, the, the biggest problem, I think, that BYU has had in the past trying to play this independent schedule is the front-loaded part of it where they didn't have enough depth to survive all of those games. They get one or two key injuries, and, and they're playing a guy that never played before. Um, I think that that, that was a, a definite uh big piece of attention for this coaching staff over the last two or three years. I think they've achieved it. I think they've played a lot of guys on defense, a lot of guys on offense. They feel comfortable with, with their twos a lot more than they used to. And so you, that's how you do that. That's how you build your, your football program. I still think that as ambitious as Tom Homo has been with the schedule, we need to dial that back just a little bit and maybe not play you know, five P5 teams in September. I think maybe they could get away with playing three or four and try to set the schedule up a little differently. But it's it's really difficult. I understand that. And Tom works really hard to make that work. Um, but I think that they're catching up with that ambition in the, the, the program with how they've recruited and how they've developed players. I think we saw that, as you mentioned, coming into this year, they were set up for success. I think they were set up for success next year as well. I think that, that they could you know face a P5 schedule like they've set up and go – I don't know, eight and four, or, or maybe even nine and three, and that would be a super successful season because they would have played against P five teams. So it's in process. They're recruiting uh, their kind of guys, which is which is always important. You want your kind of guys that are going to buy into the program and and want to do what they're asked. Um, and I think that they're putting themselves in a position to be successful every year. And that, that's you know, as a coach, you, you look at this season if you're Kalani Sataki and, and and you know even a couple of years ago people were saying I oh, doesn't know what he's doing and he's, he shouldn't get an extension because they haven't won. Well, he's, he's pushing the team in a direction where where people can stop saying that, and that's important for the stability of the program as well as for he and his coaching staff to feel like they've got some job security. And, and right now they do, and they're building a program that they feel like will be successful every year. 
So on the topic of scheduling, you know, dial back the P5 games. I just don't see, and I suspect you don't either, uh, see all these P5 games created equally. To me, there seems to be an element of luck in when you catch these teams. Gary Croton had, you know, a lot of problems that were of his own creation, but he was also very unlucky to play Utah when they were undefeated, USC when they were undefeated, Boise State undefeated until they lost their bowl game. All in the same season. He did three undefeated teams. I mean, that who does that? And they were in a conference at that point. You know, Utah was in the league and the other two were non-league games. This year, if they had played the Power 5 schedule that they had drawn up, they would have mostly had teams at 500 or less. And their record against teams that are middle to bottom third of the, of the uh, Power 5 is pretty good. As much as you try to control with how many games you schedule, it still seems like when you catch a team, there's, there's just a whole lot of luck involved. Absolutely. And, and you know, you look at these schedules that are made five, six, seven, eight, ten years in advance, you have no idea what that program is going to be like. They, they might not even have the same coach or the same AD that you set up this, this game with. And I think this year has proven that that's not necessarily the case. It doesn't need to be the case every single year because, you know, here BYU makes a game against Coastal Carolina in the space of a few hours and, and three days later, they're they're uh, you know they're on the road in the back east playing this ball game. So um, it, it's just kind of the way that college football goes, and it's unfortunate. Like you mentioned, for Gary Quirton, that was a pretty good football team he had that year with with John Beck and 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 Watkins, the receiver, and that was a good team. But they played some you know teams that were in in their very peak of, of how they were um, uh, how they were performing, and so. Again, this year, teams like Minnesota and Stanford that were on the schedule, and even Utah for that matter, even though Utah's been playing better lately, they started off rather slow. So it's it's kind of interesting that if you look at who they might have played on the regular schedule, would BYU have gone undefeated against that group? That's possible. I think it's more possible than it was in years past. But playing that kind of schedule every year has proven to be very difficult for BYU because of the attrition problem and losing guys to injury. But um, you know, if they would have gone through this year's schedule and been you know, nine and three or eight and four, that would been a really, really good season for them, and and still push the program forward. Turning to basketball a little bit, Double D, it seemed like uh, first few games with BYU was a little bit of fire drill. Pope's racing guys in and out, not really sure what's going on, which isn't which you no know, isn't is a surprise when you got so many new dudes. But, you know, notwithstanding the first half against Boise, the second half and then against Utah, I've seen a little more semblance of, you know, let's look inside, see if we can get some shots at the bucket with harms and and uh, sort of rotation set a little bit more rather than being all over the place. And so, as I say, that does take time, and it looks like that's where they're at. Have you been able to notice the same thing or you see anything different? Yeah, for sure. And, and over the years, interviewing coaches in the preseason has always been kind of comical to me because they tell us, yeah, we've got lots of depth and we're going to go eight, ten deep. And then they get into league play and they're playing seven guys every game. You know, coaches protect their rotations and they really believe in them. And it's very difficult sometimes for guys to earn that trust to be able to get into a game that means a lot in conference play. Um, and, and I think what Mark Pope was telling us on Saturday was, you know, we've, we've played eight games in 18 days and, and we've acquired all of this data that we're going to plug in and try to figure out what works best for us, what combinations work best, uh, what plays work best for those combinations. They just haven't had a lot of time to really solidify all that. Um, And and so they they feel like they have an eight or ten deep group. 
maybe even more than that if if Wyatt Lowell gets gets uh, healthy and they might bring him into that loop. But as as they take a few days now between now and Friday when they play San Diego State, maybe they plug in a few of those things. This is one of the deeper teams I've seen from BYU. And that creates an issue for the coach because he wants the best locker room in America, but he also wants happy guys and he wants to play guys. And so uh, can you have them commit to playing? You know, he gave a good example of Colby Lee, who'd only played a few minutes the previous two games before Utah. Then he starts against Utah and plays really well. And so you have those situations. And I think it's difficult with a, a lot of guys that can play because every game is a little bit different as far as the rotation. You can't play the same way every single game. I don't think when you have depth, because you have to take advantage of whatever your um, whatever you can exploit against the other team. Against Utah, BYU was able to exploit their their size down low, not not necessarily their height, but their width. They had some bigger guys that could kind of bully their way in there with Richard Harward and and Lee, and they took advantage of that. But they play against a team like you know, San Diego State on on um, on Friday, and there's a bunch of tall guys that are really super athletic. Does that same style work? Maybe not. So it's a constant thing. And when you have more depth, it creates, I think, a little bit more difficulty in figuring out who you play and when. And that's what the coaching staff is facing now. But I do see a lot of potential there. I think, I think this is a team that, that is going to continue to get better. Unfortunately, this might be Gonzaga's best team uh, under Mark Few. I, I think they might be the most talented team he's ever coached. And uh, they're in COVID right now and, and, and uh, pausing activities, but they've had a really good start to the season. And, and uh, it'll be unfortunate if at the time BYU plays Gonzaga, there's still no fans allowed in, in the arena because that game last year was certainly one of the highlights. So when you mentioned pausing games, uh, Stanford, Pitt, Boston College, and Virginia have all announced they're opting out of playing in a bowl game this year. Kyle Whittingham has said that if they beat Washington State, then the Pac-12 has a rule about bowl eligibility, even though the NCAA doesn't. But if they beat it, they'll be bowl eligible, and he'll let the players decide whether they play in a bowl game or not, assuming they get an invitation. And Mike Krzyzewski brought up shutting down college basketball, which sounds terrible because he's been good for a long time, and I think college basketball coaches think he's cheating, but he's never been tagged with that, and I think that frustrates a lot of people. But they've lost two non-conference games, so when he says shut it down, it sounds terrible. But you know the players have been isolated for a long time, depending on their sport, but they've been living in relative isolation for a long time. What do you think about the idea of shutting college basketball down for the holidays and then letting kids go home and quarantine the two weeks when they come back. That's a lot of money at stake, so it probably can't happen, but it would be the right thing to do. Is Krzyzewski on to something, even though he's absolutely the wrong messenger for it? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's interesting because there's a delicate balance here between living our lives Mm -hmm. and and pushing forward and and rewarding kids for hard work and, and being smart and being careful. Um, I, I don't think that's a bad idea, but as you mentioned, there's a lot of, of money at stake and, and a lot of people's jobs at stake. And, and it's, it's, it's really hard to decide. The, the thing you talk about maybe with, with friends and family is, is uh, if, it's, if it's not working, let's try something different because doing the same thing over and over again is ridiculous. And at this point, it doesn't seem like anything that's being done is really slowing the spread of this disease. And, and we know that, that eventually, you know, um, uh, we'll get past this. But at this point, you know, the, the memory of losing the NCAA tournament last year is still just a gut punch to anybody who's a sports fan. I mean, 
you know, BYU fans obviously felt like this was a team that could win a couple of games in the tournament, maybe beyond. Um, and and it, it just it was so hard. And, and if you're a BYU fan, you know that the men's volleyball team was number one in the country, and they were going to go to the championship probably. And you know, losing an, uh, a championship in any sport is just so hard for sports fans to to fathom. And and uh, you know, even down to the high school level. I mean, we were we were talking about the loss of spring baseball and softball and track and, and, and soccer here locally. And we talk to a lot of kids and they're just like, what do I do? So it's a devastation uh, of, of what normally should happen that, that is really hard to deal with. But also we know this pandemic is really, really difficult to stop. And, and I, I don't think your, your idea is that bad. Uh, I really feel like, like that would be something that, that might cause the slow of the, of the spread and, and people would come back healthy and, you know, quarantine that two weeks, but it's it's hard because there's so many voices and so much at stake. I I feel like they're probably going to push through, but but they need to consider some alternatives sometimes because they're, and especially in basketball because there's what 350 or more teams, different different than football where there's there's only 120 or so. Uh, when you have a cancellation of a football game, now you're you're seeing dozens and dozens of basketball games being canceled. It's it's disheartening when you're when you're a fan or if you're even even if you're covering it not knowing if you're going to be able to, to cover a game the next day. All right, we'll leave it right there, Darnell. We appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. All right, fellas. Have a great day. Darnell Dixon, you can read him in the Daily Herald, BYU columnist and writer in the Daily Herald. Thanks to Darnell for coming on. We get You're, you're a hypocrite, DJ. Because? Oh, oh, BYU, that 2004, they had to play all these great teams. Mm-hmm. Brady Hoke, you suck. The Aztecs' records of the teams that they've lost to, 26-2. and two. Uh-huh. And he's a bum. Uh-huh. And BYU, oh, they would have went 14-0 and zero if they didn't have to play all these undefeated teams. I've had it with your hypocrisy. I've had it with your hypocrisy. I told you it was going to happen in San Diego State game on Friday, and you're texting me over the weekend. Jay Drew thinks they're going to lose. Huh? Jay Drew's wrong, but whatever. Yeah, they, they, they had three drives. They cash in. They win the ball game. Right, but the thing is, they had the same thing against San Jose and the same thing happened. Oh, who's undefeated? Because the Aztecs turned the ball over three times in the fourth quarter. They're, they're undefeated <laughs> if they would have played. The, how about they play BYU's schedule? What would they have been? What would San Diego State be? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I'd have yeah. to go back and break every game down, but I guess and two. I guess I can great. argue they've played the toughest schedule in the United States of America, which I no. am proud to be a citizen of. No. The teams they've beaten are five and seventeen, so they played some it's lousy the team teams. Team they lost to, not the teams they've beaten. It's the teams they've lost to. That's the point you. That's the point you were making exactly, with BYU in 04, The teams they lost to, not the teams they beat. Some of the teams they lost to, they lost more than three games that year. They were five and six that year. I know, and San Diego State twenty six and two. What was that UNLV game? Lost that, to. What was that UNLV game at home when uh, Curtis Brown averaged more than ten yards a carry, but only Thir- got like eleven to carries? Be exact. 13, 13 <laughs> yards a carry. Okay. I think he got like eight carries. Yeah, yes. and then apologies to the parents. <laughs> Sorry, we uh, bleeped that game up. I know your son could have run for like five hundred yards if we knew what we were doing. <laughs> John Beck set a record for most pass attempts, didn't he? Uh, he was, was that a- in 04? So do you let your freshman quarterback throw 50 whatever times or 60? I don't even know how many he threw. I'd have to go look it up. Yeah, yeah it was 04. You let your freshman quarterback throw 50 times a game instead of giving the ball to the running back who's averaging 13 yards a carry. So that's that why I said. That was on a Friday night, if I remember correctly. And yeah. the next morning, 
I told someone that I know very well, I said, you're going to be the next coach at BYU if you want it. (laughs) That's classic. All right, DJ and PK. I think Brady Hoke, this is three years at San Diego State, and he is now, uh, what is he, 17 and 16 as a head coach with two wins over teams with winning records. Yeah, give him BYU schedule, and he'd be going bowling this year. He'd be nationally ranked. We'll see how he does next year. DJ and PK, we are coming back with everything you missed in this show in one nice, neat segment. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, time to catch up today on everything we've been talking about in this show. We had Kyle Winningham on live, his weekly press conference. His first question. The first question he took was, Kyle, if you beat Washington State and by Pac-12 rules become bowl eligible, do you want to play a bowl game? And he said, well, basically we'll cross that bridge, you know, on Saturday if we win the game, but it will be up to the players. And he, maybe he's a good actor, but he sounded like he could take it or leave it, PK. Well, really, what difference does it mean to him? I mean, he's going to be coaching next year and the year after and, it's, it's it's his team, it's his program, but it's the kids' team, and what do they want? You know, would they because they're probably not going to get a pre-Christmas game because there's just not enough time. Right, the game's on the nineteenth, right? The next game, so it would have to be post-Christmas, and so if those kids don't want to be involved in that, and there's no bowl activities, there's no bowl gifts. It's basically it's just another road game. Yeah. And you're going to go in and play the game, and it's an exhibition game. That's what and, it is, and that's okay. You know, there's something to be said for playing the game, but a lot of these programs. The point being that I can see uh, if they don't want to do it, don't do it. Right, and that seems. I, to be his I, I do know that he has said that he's not getting another haircut till he loses to BYU. He didn't say that. You just made okay. that up. But I think I can feel him saying that. <laughs> can you imagine if he'd taken that rule? That was the rule back in 2009 or 10 or whatever. <laughs> oh, okay, we lost that one. I'll get a cut. When was the last one they lost? Was it the 09 game? Yeah, 09. Because yeah, the they won the 2010 uh, game. We don't have I hate you all. Yeah, Max Hold and Andrew Castles. George. Can you imagine if he hadn't had a, a haircut since that game? Yeah. <laughs> Big that old ponytail. Just to go ten years, that, that would be so just disgusting. When you think about it. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I like his approach. Let the kids decide. It's their team, and if they don't want to play. I mean, let's face it, man. He's got more money than he knows what to do with, and so it's it's, it's not an issue for him. I do have to laugh at the Shashevskys of the world. You know, I get his point. But I'm a little tired of people who are financially secure telling us we need to close down whatever it is we need to close down. Uh, you're not going to suffer financially. Uh, let's let the people who have to suffer financially, let's see what they think. 
or let's go ahead and close down to make sure they're 100% taken care of. And, of course, they're not 100% taken well, care of. Well, yeah, yes, <laughs> right? yes, absolutely. The, the evictions and uh, yeah. the, the lines at food banks across the country. I mean, it, it's at a point now where if you're on social media, if you're watching on TV, and you see a helicopter or drone shot, you know, some aerial shot of this massive parking lot with a line of cars in it, you know exactly what's going on, and you have no idea what city it is. Yeah, but, but yeah. you know, we've all seen it so much. I, mean, I really hurt for them. I'm so yeah. fortunate that I've never been in that situation. I was, my father was in that situation when I was in high school and ended up getting a, a job as a, jo- a garbage man where he was on the back of a truck hauling garbage off the sides of uh, curbs because uh, he got laid off. So, I, I, I mean, I know what that's like. Not personally, since I've been an adult, I've been very fortunate. But I was talking to Dirk Facer yesterday. What am I supposed to do? I'm 57 years old. Man, I... I know. I don't know what you're supposed to do, but all I know is it sucks. Yeah. We talked BYU with Darnell Dixon just a few minutes ago. We're going to get a lot of comments here. A lot of people weighing in on the Twitter feed about the bowl game, Boca Raton. Uh, Central Florida's got a great rep. They have built a good brand name here the last few years. Yes. Um, but they're six and three this year. They've been, I mean, they're very close to eight and one because they got a 50 49 loss to Memphis and they got a 36 33 loss to undefeated Cincinnati. And obviously, a play here or there in either of those games, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and all that stuff to eight and one. But they're six and three in the fourth place team in the American Conference. And PK, you were hoping for Power Five, even though you know. Power fives play power fives in bowl games. There's very few exceptions to that rule. Right, but I was hoping this year, as screwy as it is, that there could be some type of uh, arrangement, basically. And I understand that's the way it works. And it's not like this is a bad game. I don't want to give the impression of that, because Central Florida has a reputable program. And I can argue the last several years, they've been much better than BYU. I mean, that's easy to argue. So I don't want to slight these guys, and they're going to be excited to play. And and for BYU, it's an opportunity to win a ball game. They put yourself at 11-1. and one. Yeah, you came up a yard and a half short, uh, but you still went 11-1 and one if you should win the game. And I don't know that they will, uh, but the – 11-1, something to be said. The fact that you would have played 12 games when all the schools in the geographic region playing four games maybe, that's just a joke. And you managed to get 11? What the crap, man? What are those people thinking on the other side there that you only played four games? A Cal. Cal goes 1-3 this year. Mm-hmm. And Washington <laughs> State's 1-2 going into the Ute game, so... They could end up one and three or two oh, and two. They will. Here, so, they will. Yeah. They haven't played. They played once in the last what four weeks. They've had three games canceled. Yeah, and you're expecting them to have any kind of rhythm? They were supposed to play Cal last week, and they didn't. Uh, I think the USC game that was a filling game because Washington got canceled. The Stanford game got canceled. So yeah, they, they've lost a lot of games. And so, yeah, by by lost the opportunity to play them, uh, right. and you're supposed to come in there and be prepared and be. Uh, in any kind of rhythm and sync, probably not. I would suspect the Utes would roll over these guys because now the Utes have played. The good thing about it is the Utes got all their cancellations out of the way consecutively, and and I think it led. Maybe they would have lost SC either way, but it led to a very lackluster performance. But the good thing about them is that once they started playing, they haven't missed, which is good. You'd rather have that 
then stop, start, play, start. stop, play, play, and then don't play for a month, and then have to play again like the Devils did. Come on, you can't really, can't really expect much in those situations. To your point on UCF, now the seniors are forty-one and seven over the last four years. That's great. Yeah, that's big time. We also talked Utah State today, uh, so we got a press conference coming up at 11 o'clock to introduce the new coach, and the investigation is going to start into what exactly the school president said and in what context, and where does that go with Utah State. we got a big discussion going on our Facebook page, DJ and PK. And PK, we're all waiting to see how that turns out. There's a part of me that wonders if there's just a quiet settlement with Frank Miley and we never find out. How it's uh, how it works. We've heard he's lawyered up. We've both been told that, and there's a settlement, and we don't hear anything. Well, we can hear that there's a settlement, uh, but they've got to repair some damage in the recruiting because Polynesians, uh, as most most ethnic groups are, that's a tight tight community, especially in our community. What the crap? <laughs> everybody knows everybody, and word spreads like wildfire. There is a reason. That Ron McBride said on Friday he knew three days earlier. And there's no chance he was well, the only one. Well, he knew the very day. He knew yeah, the exact right. day He knew it the happened. day it happened. And there's no chance he was the only one. Oh, of course not. <laughs> of course not. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. When we come back, your feedback coming up. Stay with us, Hanson Scotty, at the top of the hour. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Rudy says he's here to stay and he wants a shiny ring someday because he says so. Pay him super max, the jazz will be fine. It, does it become a chore at some point? Like you've got to schedule time in to write and perform and record something? <laughs> okay. No, it becomes a highlight. Kay sent that in very early this morning, so apparently he had the weekend to dream it up, so who knows? All right, well, good work. We like it. We enjoy it every day. Use the app, and you, you don't have to do that. You, know, you can do something a little more simple and straightforward. We need to have more people use the open mic. It's been kind of fallen by the wayside. I yeah, love hearing DJ, people's Yeah, DJ, you takes. need to push that more. Not that it's your fault. I'm just saying. All right, I'll push it more. Use the open yeah. mic. Use the app. Send us your take. Let's go. Yak, I'll push it more, but you don't hold them for the end of the show. We play them throughout the entire oh, yeah. show. I, and then the best, you can double down for Sure, the, yeah. But yeah, if I have, I only have one from K in a day. I'm but in PK's right. I haven't been pushing it. it. I haven't been pushing it. All right, we got a lot of people here uh, weighing in. I was just reading a recruiting story during the break. PK, <laughs> the, the ESPN's got the story on the five schools that have the most to gain on signing day. We'll hear from Kyle on uh, on Wednesday, right? Uh, USC Trojans, they go through a whole list of uh, these like eight top 300 commitments they've got and the people they may add. USC may really be loading up after a year where they weren't very good. And they're still targeting these four-star athletes. And uh, three, ESPN 300 corner, Sayre, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Sayre Wright is also listing the Trojans along with Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State, Utah. Ah, the Utes are on an elite corner. Who knew? Well, he, need, he needs to be on Utah, right. not the other way around. If you want to go to the NFL, yeah. go play go play for Kyle Whittingham, Morgan Scally, and Sharif Shah. Right, yeah. Yes. We see how those players are trending. All right, the question of the day that's gotten the most reaction, uh, what do you think about the bowl game? And Pedro says UCF is going to give BYU all it can handle. 
Uh, Pedro, if that's true, then I'm expecting a high-scoring shootout. That Coastal Carolina game was very competitive and low-scoring. The San Diego State game was competitive for quite a while. It was 20-14 to 14 going to the fourth quarter. It was low-scoring, but UCF has given up 31 points a game. Uh, ranked 80th in the country, and they have played some high-scoring games, 36-33, 50-49. If, that, if they're giving BYU all it can handle, then PK, we're going to have one of those uh, up-and-down-the-field high-scoring affairs. Might as well. It's a bowl game. I, that's the kind of game I enjoy. I like it. I mean, the only time I don't like it is... When it's the Devils, and they lose. <laughs> yeah, but I can enjoy a low-scoring game by one team if the other team scores 70. Kevin said, oh, nice. Kevin, it's fine. And it's fine seems to be the optimal phrase for 2020. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, Cosmo says, uh, Cosmo's stepson says, I'm excited to watch the team play again. UCF's been a decent recently. That said, this is the best season at BYU in 15 to 20 years. The bowl game's the fourth place team in the AAC. I'd like to see a better opponent. Uh, a lot of people were hoping they'd play Utah. A lot of people wanted a rivalry bowl game. Not happening. That was classic in the Las Vegas Bowl, uh, but it could be a while before we get that again. A long, long time. It's not the way bowls are set up these days. All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.